My grandfather was a Baptist minister for over 50 years. And uh, as you can imagine, over the course of 50 years, you have a lot of opportunities to uh, participate in visitation, uh, visiting people in hospitals, nursing homes. Uh, and uh, my grandpa used to tell a great story. One time he had visited a, an older woman who was a member of his church. Uh, she was in a nursing home. And so he had gone just to uh, give, her, give her some encouragement, read scripture, pray with her. And uh, while he was there visiting this lady, uh, my grandpa noticed that on the table next to her bedside, she had a little bowl of peanuts. And so uh, as he was chatting with this woman, he just kind of casually started munching on the peanuts there uh, that were in this bowl on her bedside table. Well, after about an hour of visiting, my grandpa, you know, he, he embarrassingly realized that he had eaten her entire bowl of peanuts. And uh, he felt so bad. He, he said to this woman, oh, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't even realize. I just ate all your peanuts. And she said, oh, that's okay, Pastor Harold. I already sucked all the chocolate off of them. <laughs> My grandpa, you know, he thought he had found this uh, really tasty treat when in reality they were just somebody else's trash, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I share this story with us this morning because it, it reminds me a lot of what was going on in Galatia uh, and the reason why Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. You see, you see, the Galatians thought that they had discovered something really good in the message of these teachers who had come in that we today know as the Judaizers. These Judaizers had come into the churches in Galatia, churches that the Apostle Paul had planted. And these Judaizers, they said to the people in Galatia, look, at Paul's not really a true apostle. And on top of that, he's not giving you the full story here. He hasn't given you the whole scope of the gospel. And so the Galatians, they thought, man, this is great. We're learning all this new stuff. But the reality was they were leading the Galatians astray into a false system of, of works-based righteousness, works-based legalism, trying to earn their right and status with God. And, and, and what was going on, and the reality was the, the Judaizers, they had actually stripped the gospel of everything that made it satisfying. They, they had taken off the, the candy-coated goodness of the, the simplicity, the purity, the beauty of the gospel, and all that they had left the Galatian Christians with were a bunch of stale, sucked-on peanuts. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to the Galatians to, to remind them of the truth of the gospel and to hold out for them once again the, the candy-coated goodness of all that God offers us in the free gift of grace by faith through Jesus Christ. And that's what the message of the gospel is all about. In, in our passage this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 31. And this passage really comes on the heels of the, the heart of Paul's theological argument to the Galatians. Over the last three weeks, we've been looking at these different covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, God's covenant with us through Christ. And, and Paul has been unfolding these different covenants so that we could get a broad understanding of the full scope and, and nature and beauty of what the gospel is all about. And now today in chapter 4, Paul is going to really get personal with the Galatians. Uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 31, uh, are really some of Paul's most personal words that we find anywhere in his writings. Here we get to really see into the, the reality of Paul's pastoral heart. I, I once heard somebody describe pastoral ministry as being a joyful burden. And, uh, you know, friends, I can attest that that's a great description of, of what it is to be a pastor. Uh, it, it's a joyful burden. 
And, and it's joyful in the sense that I'll tell you, there's no greater joy, there's no greater thrill than being able to, to shepherd a local congregation and, and to join you guys, to partner with you guys, to walk through life together, and, and to see God at work in your lives, and to see you growing and becoming more passionate about the gospel, and, and serving, and giving, and, and going out in faith as Christ's ambassadors. I mean, there's no greater thrill than that for a pastor. It's one of the great joys of, of serving in ministry. But, but there's also a burden that comes with pastoral ministry. Be, because the Bible describes pastoral ministry as, as like the role of a shepherd. And a shepherd cares for his sheep. But, but as you know, sheep, you know, they can, they can kind of go and do their own things at times, right? And, and so a lot of times for us as pastors, uh, we feel this burden because we love our people. We love our sheep that God has entrusted us with. But, but we see people straying from God's truth and his will for their lives. And we see them getting themselves into trouble. And, and, and our heart often breaks and hurts for the people that God has entrusted us with. And, and so there's this burden that goes along with pastoral ministry. And we see both of these things reflected in Paul's message here this morning. We, we see the joy he has over his, his people in Galatia, but we also see his, his burden for them as they have been led astray by these false teachers. The great reformer Martin Luther, he once said about this section of Galatians, he says, these words breathe Paul's own tears. They breathe Paul's own tears. We, we see Paul's heart for the church of Galatia here in this passage. Now today, this is a little lengthier passage. And so what I want to do is I want to break down our passage into three individual sections. And, and all three of these sections comprise Paul's overall pastoral plea that we find here in chapter 4. So let's read together uh, the first section, uh, verses 8 through 11. And, and here Paul is going to once again restate the Galatians' problem. Uh, what is it that the Galatians have done and gotten themselves into? How have they been led astray? So let's read verses 8 through 11 together. <clears throat> Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Now, Paul begins our passage today by once again restating the dire situation that the Galatians had gotten themselves into by following the teachings of these Judaizers. And what he shares with them here contains a powerful insight for all of us. Paul opens in verse 8 by reminding the Galatians of how prior to embracing Jesus Christ as their Savior, prior to embracing the gospel, Paul says you used to be enslaved. They had been enslaved by the pagan religions of their day. You see, at that time, the, the Roman Empire embraced a whole pantheon of deities, there were all kinds of gods that people followed and worshipped. There were gods that controlled the weather, gods of war and peace, gods of fertility, and on and on. And so for most people in Paul's day, appeasing the gods was a daily concern. Life was primarily dominated by a whole host of religious rituals where people tried to earn favor with the gods. And this is who the Galatians were. This is what they used to embrace and believe before they came to know the gospel. 
in the freedom found in the gospel. But now, in verses 9 and 10, Paul warns them that they are once again being enslaved by a pagan religious system. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, I I thought the Judaizers were promoting Judaism to these Galatian Christians, right? I mean, they were were encouraging the, the Galatians to keep the Jewish law. Is Paul calling Judaism pagan here? Is that Paul's claim? And friends, in this context, with what was happening in Galatia, that's exactly what Paul was saying. Now, now please understand this, friends. Paul obviously didn't believe that the Old Testament teachings of Judaism were pagan. All right? Paul was a believer in Yahweh. He knew that there was only one true God, Yahweh, the creator of the universe. He believed in the God of Judaism. Paul also believed that the Old Testament was the divinely inspired word of God. He believed that God had revealed his will for humanity in the Old Testament truths of the Jewish faith, that God had revealed a a powerful message to us in the Old Testament Mosaic law. All of these things had a purpose. And and Paul understood that God used the Jewish faith to foretell and, and to lead to the coming of the Messiah who would be the savior of the world. All of that came out of Judaism. So Paul is not saying that Judaism in and of itself is pagan. But what he's telling the the Galatians here is that when Old Testament law is embraced ritually as a means of gaining favor with God, then friends, Judaism can become just as enslaving as any other pagan religion in the world. See, friends, the key takeaway from Paul's passage here is this. Anything that would point a person away from Jesus Christ as the sole source of our standing before God or our contentment in life, anything that would point us away from Jesus, that thing is pagan. It's a false god. And sadly, our world today is filled with all kinds of false gods enslaving people in the pursuit of their empty promises. There are false gods of religion. Friends, what is religion? Again, religion is simply human effort, men and women trying to earn favor with God, trying to attain status with God. Religion is about what we do through our good works, through our sacrifices, through our rituals, through our money. It's all about what we do to try to earn status with God. And that's what religion is all about. It doesn't matter what religion you're talking about. They're all about human works and effort to try to earn standing with God. It reminds me of the Muslim woman I saw down at the Mall of America recently. My family and I, we were down at the Mall of America, and my my kids were going on some rides at Nickelodeon Universe. And and as I was standing there waiting for my kids on a ride, I saw this Muslim woman uh, walk, walk down the sidewalk, and all of a sudden from her bag... She pulled out a prayer mat. And this woman who was covered from head to toe in a hijab, she she laid her prayer mat down right in the middle of the walkway there in Nickelodeon Universe. And for the next 15 minutes, she started prostrating herself, praying facing east towards Mecca, praying to Allah. Now, friends, a Muslim will pray five times a day. And you know what a Muslim prays when they pray five times a day? They always pray the same thing. They pray, God, have mercy on me. And see, the reason a Muslim will plead for mercy five times a day is because they do not know the grace of God. 
There's no concept of grace in the religion of Islam. The Muslim instead believes that Allah is so powerful, so transcendent, that he would never stoop so low as to, to come into our world to reveal himself to us. And so the Muslim, the best they can do is follow the teachings of the Quran, which tells them that on the day of judgment, Allah is going to weigh our good and bad deeds in a balancing scale. But you see, for the Muslim, they're never quite sure they're doing enough good deeds to outweigh their bad deeds. And so they plead for mercy five times a day. God, have mercy on me. Because they do not know the grace of God. Friends, that's religion. And it doesn't matter what religion you're talking about. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, on and on. Every single religion in the world is all about what we as humans do through our own efforts, through our own works, to try to attain status in standing with God. And I want you to understand this clearly, friends. Even those who call themselves Bible-believing Christians can fall into the same religious trap. There are a lot of Christians in churches on Sunday mornings, maybe even some of you here today, who think it's about going to church, it's about reading your Bible, it's about doing your devotions and joining the Bible studies and, and praying regularly. And you do all these things thinking that by doing these things, somehow you're going to earn more favor or standing with God. Friends, that's paganism. That's enslavement to legalistic religion. That's what Paul was warning the Galatian Christians about. See, anything that takes your eyes off the simple truth and purity of the gospel message that salvation is a free gift by faith through God's grace, anything that takes your eyes off of that simple truth is paganism. It's being enslaved to a false religious system. And it's not just the the false gods of religion that are present in our world. We also have the false gods of secularism. A a lot of people reject the idea of a god or of the divine, but instead try to to earn worth or standing through all the, the toys and privileges and pleasures of this world. Instead of worshiping the creator, they look to created things for their source of worth and security. It reminds me of a friend of mine I recently reconnected with on social media. He's a buddy of mine I grew up with, went to high school with. And from the world standpoint, this guy, he looks like he has everything. He looks like he has it all together. He owns a million-dollar real estate company down in the Twin Cities. He lives in this beautiful high-rise apartment overlooking downtown Minneapolis. He drives a $100,000 sports car. He wears the fanciest suits money can buy. From outward appearances, this guy looks like he has everything. But he's gone through two wives, countless girlfriends. He has no peace in his life, no contentment in life. He starts his day with a drink. He drinks to get through the day, and he drinks to fall asleep at night. He's a slave to the stuff of the world. He's a slave to his money, to his toys, to his pursuits. Friends, the false gods of this world only lead to enslavement. They never lead to freedom. And in opposition to the slavery found in the false gods of this world, Christianity offers us true freedom. And the true freedom of the gospel is found in the the security and contentment that comes through an intimate and personal relationship with our Creator. As Paul says here in verse 9, a Christian is one who knows God and is known by God. 
The, the word known there that Paul uses in the Greek, the word is gnosko. It means to have an intimate or, or personal knowledge of another person. It, it's like how a husband knows his wife intimately, personally. It's like how a mother knows her children intimately, personally. And Paul says this is how God knows you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. God knows you intimately. He knows you personally. And so understand this this morning, friends. If you've put your trust in Jesus today, you don't need to pursue the gods and idols of this world in search of standing or joy because you're a child of the Heavenly Father. You're an heir of the King of the universe. You are known by God. So so let me encourage you this morning. Draw near to God. Embrace Him as He embraces you. Know the fullness and joy of of life and standing and security and contentment that comes by walking in an intimate relationship with him. Don't ever settle for the weak and miserable gods of this world. They don't satisfy. Now secondly, in our passage this morning, we come to verses 12 through 20 where, where we get to the heart of Paul's plea to the Galatians. Let's read these verses together, verses 12 through 20. Paul says, I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people, the the Judaizers, they're zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, For whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Here again, we see Paul's heart for the Galatians. We see his passion for the Galatians. This is is some of Paul's most autobiographical writing anywhere in the New Testament. And what I find very interesting is is not only do we get to see Paul's heart here, but we also get a glimpse into Paul's ministry method here as he talks about his outreach in Galatia and how he had originally came into these relationships with them. And, And there's some lessons that we can learn here from Paul and his ministry to the Galatians from his own words. These are lessons that we can apply in our own lives as we seek to live as ambassadors of Jesus Christ in our world today. Let me highlight four lessons for us that we can learn from Paul's ministry in Galatia. Number one, Paul tells us, be a bridge builder. Be a bridge builder. Paul says in verse 12, I became like you. I became like you. And friends, please understand this. True gospel ministry is always culturally flexible. Okay, we see this reality in Paul's life, not only here in Galatia, but it was a pattern wherever he went. Paul was willing to adapt and change and flex his methodology in order to communicate his message. And as Christians, we are called to build bridges into the culture no matter where God plants us. 
Okay? The, the message of the cross is inflexible, but the method and the means by which we communicate that message is flexible. That's one of the beautiful things about how God created the gospel. Right? L- look at Paul's example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he explains this to us. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Why? Because I wanted to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, even though myself, I'm not under the law. I did that to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to, the, to win those not having the law. He says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. See, friends, Paul understood that Christians are to be bridge builders in whatever culture God plants them. And so Paul would adapt his methodology. The the way he lived, the way he spoke, the way he conveyed his message, he would adapt his methodology to the culture as far as possible without compromising the truth of the gospel he proclaimed. And biblical Christianity has always been a bridge-building faith. This is why when you look at church history, this is why, for example, music styles have changed in the church over the years, right? It's why we do contemporary worship today, all right? It's not, like, it's not that the old way was wrong, but we're trying to build bridges into our culture. It's why as a pastor, I'm wearing jeans on a Sunday morning, right? 50 years ago, I wouldn't be wearing jeans. I'd be wearing a three-piece suit, But it's part of the changes that happen culturally as we seek to build bridges into the present day and age. It's why we as a church, we build things like the youth center and the gym, right? Why do we do those things? We're trying to build bridges, effective bridges, to reach out to our culture through the medium of youth ministry, through the medium of sports ministries, right? Those are all ways that we build bridges to communicate the message of the gospel. It's why we host family movie nights, like we're going to have tonight at 6.30. Why do we do things like that? Because movies are a powerful medium for reaching today's culture, all right? So we're trying to build bridges to today's culture. It's why we do things like trunk or treat a couple weeks ago. Right? Why do we do trunk or treat? To build bridges into our community. I had somebody ask me recently, why is your church celebrating Halloween? Friends, we're not celebrating Halloween. I could give a rip about Halloween. I'm not going to let the devil have a free pass on that day. All right? If we've got a thousand men, women, and children walking around our neighborhoods, why on earth would we not want them to come to our church and meet a whole bunch of Christians who love them and care about them and pass out gospel tracts so that they can go home and read the messages? Why would we not want to do that? That's about building bridges for the sake of the gospel. And friends, the Christian church has always been in the business of building bridges. Secondly, Paul tells us that we're called to be authentic. Be authentic. Again, in verse 12, Paul says, become like me. He says, become like me. Now, friends, the reason Paul could make this appeal is because the Galatians knew Paul. This wasn't some stranger writing to them. Paul had come among them, and he had lived with them. He had built relations with them. He was real and genuine and caring and compassionate, and he wanted to know them as people. They weren't just a project for him. 
he was real and authentic. And so when he says, become like me, he could do that because they knew him. They knew him intimately and personally. We see this model everywhere Paul went. Look at, what, look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, we were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. See, Paul not only proclaimed the truth of the gospel, but he shared and gave his very life to the people he was ministering amongst. And friends, what a great model for us today. We're not only called to build bridges into our culture, but we're called to live authentic lives amongst our friends and neighbors and coworkers, building relationships with them for the sake of building trust and love and mutual uh, commitment towards one another so that we can have a gospel influence on them. In, in today's language, we would call this friendship evangelism, right? We come alongside our friends and neighbors. We build relationships with them so that we can ultimately influence them with the gospel. Now, friends, understand this. There's a little, there's a little word of caution in this, okay? Because here's what happens. A lot of Christians just spend their entire lives building relationships, and they never get around to sharing the message of the gospel, okay? Both of those things have to happen, all right? You have to get around to sharing the truth of the gospel with somebody because that's what they need to hear and understand in order to be saved. So, so, so just, you know, building relationships alone, that's not going to cut it, all right? But here's the thing. As you seek to share the gospel with your friends and neighbors, remember, be an authentic friend and neighbor to them, right? Both of these things go hand in hand. We love people. We care for people. We enter into their lives. We build relationships with them in the hopes and goal of ultimately sharing the truth of Christianity and the gospel with them. That was Paul's model. That's the model we're called to embrace as Christians. Remember this, friends. It's often our lives and our conduct as Christians that make the biggest impact on a non-believer. Okay, so be authentic. Be, be genuine with people. Number three, Paul says, be faithful in trials. I find this section very fascinating, verses 13 and 14. We discover something that's really interesting about Paul's ministry in Galatia. Notice this here, friends. Paul says it was an illness that brought him to Galatia. In other words, Galatia was a detour in Paul's plans. He never intended to go and preach the gospel in Galatia. He never intended to go and plant churches in Galatia. It was an illness that brought him there. It was a detour. It wasn't part of his plans. But guess what? It was part of God's plan. God knew there was a group of people there who would respond to the gospel. God knew that there was a group of people there that would become a church that would become a bedrock community of faith in the early Christian church. And so God had sovereignly ordained Paul's illness to put him in Galatia. See, what you need to understand this morning, friends, is oftentimes in life, our detours are God's divinely prepared destinations. Sometimes what we think are distractions are really God's divine appointments. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I willing to be faithful no matter where God plants me? Am I willing to be faithful no matter the circumstances and trials that come into my life? 
Uh, it may not be what I desired or what I planned for, but will I live faithfully as an ambassador of Jesus, no matter my circumstances, no matter what I'm going through? It, it reminds me of a story my dad used to share. In 1974, my dad, he was a Christian evangelist and apologist. He had been invited over to Monrovia, Liberia to hold a week-long evangelistic crusade in the largest soccer stadium in Liberia. They were expecting hundreds of thousands of people to come out over five nights and hear my dad's gospel messages. But two days before the crusades were to start, my dad came down with a strange jungle fever there in Liberia, and he ended up in JFK Hospital in Monrovia, sick in bed. And my dad, as he was laying in bed in, in agony with this strange illness, he, he remembers calling out to God, Lord, what are you doing? God, why did you let me get sick here? Don't you know, God, I'm supposed to preach to hundreds of thousands of people? What about all these people, Lord, who need to hear the gospel? God, what are you doing to me right now? It was really interesting. There was a young American doctor working at JFK Hospital. He was there under the auspices of the U.S. government, working with USAID and This doctor, Dr. Robert Patton, he became friends with my dad as he was caring for him there. And being the only American there in the hospital, Dr. Patton invited my dad to come and stay at his family home in Monrovia uh, for a week while he recovered from his illness. And over the course of the next week, every night when Dr. Patton would come home from work, my dad and him would stay up for hours and hours, my dad sharing the gospel, talking religion, talking apologetics. On the third night after doing this repeatedly, Dr. Patton finally prayed to receive Jesus Christ. The next night, Dr. Patton's wife and kids prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Their whole family became Christians. Well, five years later, my dad got a letter in the mail from Dr. Patton saying, Ron, I feel the Lord is calling me into ministry and I've left my medical practice to go into seminary. Five years after that, my dad got another letter from Dr. Patton said, Ron, I wanted you to know that I finished seminary and God has called me to go and serve in Suriname, South America, as a missionary. And our family's going to be leaving for South America. Five years later, he got another letter from Dr. Patton. Ron, my wife and I are going to language school so that we can learn to translate the Bible in the Surinamese language. I remember in the year 2000, I came home one weekend from college and my dad said, Jason, I need to show you a letter I got. I remember my dad just weeping as he read these words. It was from Dr. Patton. He said, Ron, because God allowed you to get sick in Liberia 25 years ago, today the Surinamese people now have the Gospels translated into their native tongue for the first time in history. See, friends, God had a plan and purpose in my father's illness, bigger than he knew at the time. And if my dad hadn't remained faithful to his calling as an ambassador of Jesus, no matter his circumstances... Dr. Patton may have never come to faith. He may have never become the missionary and Bible translator that ultimately brought the gospel to the people of Suriname. See, it's like the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. So friends, no matter your trials, no matter your detours in life, no matter your disappointments, whatever your circumstances, trust the Lord Serve him faithfully. Your detours might just be God's destination, his divine appointment for your life. So trust him and serve him faithfully. Fourthly, the Apostle Paul tells us in verses 15 to 20, be truthful in love. Be truthful in love. 
Here in verses 15 to 20, we read some of Paul's most heartfelt words anywhere in his writings. We, fee- we find here both Paul's passion for the truth and his genuine love and concern for the Galatians. Paul calls out the Galatians for their error in following after the Judaizers. He calls out the Judaizers for their misplaced zealotry. But at the same time, he also conveys the passion of a mother, lovingly embracing the pains of labor for the sake of her child. See, friends, Paul wanted nothing more than to see the Galatian Christians delivered back into the true freedom of the gospel. And this is what true gospel ministry looks like. It speaks the truth that people need to hear, but it's truth balanced with love. And this was the model that Jesus showed us. Look what John 14, John 1.14 tells us. The word Jesus became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, Jesus exhibited both grace and truth. And friends, our world today needs both of these things so badly. Our world needs Christians who proclaim the grace of God, that we have a heavenly Father who loves us so much that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, your heavenly Father is willing to embrace you once again in his loving arms. But friends, our world also needs to hear the truth That God has revealed the way that leads to life and life to the full. And when we stray from God's revealed truth, we're heading off on roads that lead to nowhere good. We're finding ourselves lost and and, and, and on paths that lead to ultimately our death. Not only in this life, but eternally. And our world needs both of these things, the grace and the truth that is offered in the gospel. You know, we live in a day and age today where truth is not popular. Grace is in short supply. And so what do we do, friends, as the church? We need to look to Paul's example here in Galatians. We need to look to the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in those examples, we need to point the world to a better way, the way that leads to life and life to the full. It's found in both the grace and the truth of the gospel. Lastly today, Paul reminds the Galatians of God's amazing promise, the promise of the gospel. Let's read Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman is born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. But what does the Scripture say? 
Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, this last section of our passage today is really a summation of everything that Paul has already shared in chapters 3 and 4 of Galatians. And once again, Paul takes us back to the story of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. Here here in verse 21 through 31, Paul highlights the story of Abraham found in Genesis 16 and 17. And if you remember from chapter 3, we we saw some of this story. God had promised Abraham that he was going to become the father of a great nation. But Abraham was old, right? He was 100 years old. His wife was 90 years old. She was barren and couldn't have children. God, how are you going to make me the father of a great nation? And so Abraham took it upon himself to take his slave woman, Hagar, and have relationships with her to produce an offspring, a son, Ishmael. He didn't believe God's promise, so he took it on his own initiative to have a child through Hagar. But you know what? God always keeps his word, doesn't he? And so later, miraculously, Sarah becomes pregnant. And she gives birth miraculously to the child Isaac, who was the child of the promise, the child through whom the Jewish nation would come, the child through whom the Messiah would ultimately come. He was the child of promise. And so here in our passage today, Paul uses this story to contrast the child born into slavery, Ishmael, with the child born of the promise, Isaac. And he also contrasts their two mothers, Hagar, the slave woman, and Sarah, the free woman. And the point of all of this here is that Hagar and Ishmael stand for the old covenant, the Mosaic law, which produced legalism and slavery while Sarah and Isaac stand for the promise of God, the gospel, which leads to life and freedom. Now, friends, we don't have time to break down this whole illustration, but the key point in this passage is found in verse 29, where Paul says, Isaac was born by the power of the Spirit. See, Paul's reminding us here that Isaac's birth was truly miraculous. It was something that only God could accomplish. And in the same way, so too is the promise of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation is always a miraculous work of God's spirit in our lives. It's about what God in his incredible grace and love has done for us. This has been the entire point of Paul's letter so far in the book of Galatians. Paul's whole argument in Galatians is that none of us are saved by keeping the law. Rather, our status as sons and heirs, as children of the promise, it comes wholly by faith and trust in the promise of the gospel. That's the message of Galatians, friends. We are no longer slaves to legalism, but we are children of freedom because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called good news. The gospel, the good news. We're no longer slaves to legalism, but we're children who are free in Jesus Christ. You know, this whole story reminds me of my friend Lou. Our family has a friend named Lou. He, he grew up the first 20 years of his life as a Buddhist. Different faith, but the same religious legalistic system. Lou, if he were here this morning, he would share his testimony of how he became a Christian 
Luke talks about how the first 20 years of his life, he did everything he could trying to follow the Buddhist teachings. He said, I wrestled, I struggled, I tried to faithfully keep all the Buddhist teachings, trying to earn right standing. But Lou, when he shares his testimony, he says, you know, when I was a Buddhist, it was like I was in the middle of this large lake. And I was drowning. And I didn't know how to swim. And Lou says, I was gasping for breath, trying to keep my head above water. But Lou says, I was dying. I was going under. And Lou says, as I was there struggling for breath, I I looked out on the edge of that lake. And I saw Buddha walk up to the edge of the lake. And Buddha, he started yelling out instructions, teaching me how to swim. Buddha said, Lou, if you'll just paddle your arms and kick your feet, you'll be able to keep your head above water. You'll be able to swim. But Buddha said, Lou, you need to make it to shore yourself. And Lou says, as a Buddhist, I was doing everything I could, struggling, trying to keep the Buddhist teachings faithfully. But he says, I was drowning. I was going under. I was dead. And Lou says, right when I was about to go under for the last time, I looked out on the edge of that lake once again. And this time I saw Jesus Christ walk up to the edge of the lake. But Jesus Christ didn't stop at the edge of the lake. Jesus dove out into that lake and he swam out and he rescued me. And once Jesus had brought me safely back to shore, then he taught me how to swim so that I could go back and rescue others. See, friends, that's the great difference between the message of the gospel and the religions of legalism that do nothing but enslave us. Friends, religion only offers swimming lessons to try to cross a gulf that is uncrossable between our sin and God's holiness. What are you ever going to do in your own power, in your own attempts to try to reach God. He is holy. He is perfect. We could never come into his presence on our own. But the good news of the gospel is that God has made a way through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ has offered us the free gift of salvation. And when we receive it by faith, we too can become children of the promise. And know the life that leads to freedom and contentment and security. It comes only by faith through the free gift of grace in Jesus Christ. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much once again for this incredibly powerful teaching in the book of Galatians. Lord, I I just pray that all of us might be more and more inspired each week with a, a grand vision of all that we have in the gospel. God, may it inspire us to to live faithfully as your people, joyfully as your people, not slaves to to legalistic religion, but, but representatives of the king who gave everything to save us. And we are your children. We are your heirs. We are known intimately, personally by you. Thank you, Jesus, for that incredible privilege. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't yet embraced the hope and power and beauty of the gospel, if they've never received that free gift of salvation, I pray that even this morning, right here and right now, they might lay aside the false gods of this world that lead to slavery, whether they're the gods of religious works or or the gods of secular pursuits and values, money and, and status and stuff. 
God, I pray that they might lay aside those false gods and embrace the true creator, the heavenly father that loves them, that desires them, that offered a way for them to be saved through the free gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation that you purchased for us when you died on the cross for our sins. And I pray, God, that every one of us here today would leave knowing that we are children of God. I pray that not one person here today would leave without having the assurance and security of knowing that if they call on Jesus Christ, that he will apply his gift of salvation to them as well and make them a new creation, make them an heir of the King. Holy Spirit, do your work in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, your faithfulness. We thank you for the power of the gospel. We pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, if any of you would like prayer this morning, our elders will be here at the front of the stage. They would love to pray with you, some of our Stephen ministers as well. I want to leave you with these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you.